It's 6 p.m. and you are listening to Community Radio, KVMR-FM, Nevada City, KCPC Camino. Today is Wednesday, May 26th, 2021. I'm Claudio Mendoza and it's time for the KVMR Evening News. Here in California, many professionals can lose their license to practice if they do something wrong, but there's no similar recourse for the police. Reform advocates believe that there's a real chance this year to pass legislation they say will hold police accountable. Tonight's California report covers the debate playing out in Sacramento. After a brief look at regional weather and local headlines, we'll listen to the Chamber Report this week from Sierra County. We'll listen to an interview by Keith Porter with a local property owner regarding his experience with the Fire Safe Council of Nevada County, and we'll close with a commentary by Rob Katzenstein. This is the California Report. I'm Lily Jamali. As soon as next year, the Biden administration plans to sell leases for floating wind farms off the coast of San Luis Obispo and Humboldt counties. KQED's Kevin Stark reports it's a toss-up between whether the engineering or navigating the red tape is the bigger challenge. Soon, hundreds of wind turbines could be spinning 20 miles off the coast of California, generating power free of fossil fuels. The coastline there declined sharply, and the construction of these wind farms will take a feat of engineering, yet the largest obstacles could be bureaucratic. Developers will have to analyze ocean currents, whale and bird migration patterns, and the impact on fishing and shipping, and should expect objections. Governor Gavin Newsom signaled during a call with reporters that he's hoping to move quickly to okay any plans. Yeah, I mean, obviously, we, we, we value process, but not the paralysis of a process that takes years and years and years that could be done in a much more focused way. Newsom's latest budget includes millions of dollars to speed up environmental review. The military, which uses these waters for training, has dropped its opposition. For The California Report, I'm Kevin Stark. New polling shows support for the recall of Governor Newsom may be stagnating. KQED's Katie Orr reports. The Public Policy Institute of California poll finds 40 percent of likely voters think Newsom should be removed from office. That number hasn't changed from the PPIC survey last March. 57 percent of likely voters say they'll reject the recall and keep Newsom in power. Current trends in the state may be helping the governor maintain support. 75% of Californians think the state is doing an excellent or good job of distributing COVID-19 vaccines. And more than 8 in 10 Californians believe the worst of the pandemic is behind the United States. But voters are concerned about the widening income gap in California. A solid majority of Republicans, Democrats and independent voters say the gap between the rich and the poor is getting bigger. For the California Report. I'm Katie Orr in Sacramento. In other recall news, an animal rights group is suing Republican gubernatorial candidate John Cox for using TAG, the large bear accompanying Cox on the campaign trail. The Animal Rights and Protection League alleges that the bear has been drugged and abused and is asking a judge to stop Cox from using it. Cox's campaign has said that they've taken every step to ensure the comfort and safety of the animal. Well, here in California, doctors, lawyers, and even barbers can lose their license to practice if they do something wrong. There's no similar recourse for some of the most powerful civil servants around, police. Advocates have been working for years to change that, and this year they think there's a real chance to pass legislation they say would hold police accountable. KQED's MJ Johnson reports on the debate playing out in Sacramento. 
Growing up in San Francisco, Michelle Monterosa remembers attending protests against police brutality with her brother, Sean. The only thing is, is that this fight became personal once our brother was murdered. Sean was killed by a Vallejo police officer. The family later found out the officer had been involved in three other shootings. The Solano County District Attorney refused to bring charges against the officer. Recently, state prosecutors announced they will investigate. But with criminal investigations moving at a snail's pace, the families of people who've been killed by police say they're pursuing another path towards justice. Proposed legislation that would bar police who've committed acts of misconduct from being rehired by other agencies. We need to build a pathway where we can remove the dangerous police officers from our communities, because at the end of the day, our loved ones are unfortunately just counting down the days until they become the next hashtag. So this bill is long overdue. California is one of just four states that does not have any process to decertify police officers. Police groups say they are all for a decertifying program. They agree. Bad cops shouldn't continue to be part of law enforcement in California. They just don't like the details. One area they've zeroed in on is the advisory board proposed in the bill. The board would consist of nine members, seven of them civilians and just two from law enforcement. I can guarantee you that there's probably no licensure program in the entire United States where two-thirds of the people that sit on that panel are predisposed to, to be against the person coming before them. That's Brian Marvel, president of the Police Officers Research Association of California, or PORAC, which represents over 70,000 law enforcement members in the state. The advisory board would review investigations and make recommendations to a governing body about decertifying a police officer. Marvel says it's not fair that the group includes two people who've experienced police misconduct or are family members of people killed by police. But Lizzie Buchan, a lobbyist for the ACLU, says family members and civilians are just one layer in a multi-layer process that includes law enforcement. We think that with law enforcement really dominating this whole process, we think it's really important that we have that one layer that is mostly civilians to ensure that they have an opportunity to, to have a say in the process as well. Despite the disagreements, both sides are at the table negotiating, and last week, the bill passed out of a key committee. Still, the intense disagreements over the bill's details show that while California is known as a progressive state, even here, and even in the wake of last summer's social uprising against racism and police brutality, police reform has been difficult to pass in the California legislature. Yet, Buchan of the ACLU says after years of law enforcement exercising outsized power in Sacramento, things do seem to be shifting politically. Their grip on the legislature, which used to be iron-fisted, has, has really loosened. And, and I think that, you know, we're seeing increasingly members of the legislature declare that they're not going to accept contributions from law enforcement. Their campaign contributions are becoming toxic. People don't want to be seen as being in the pocket of law enforcement unions. The bill isn't alone, though advocates consider it the most significant proposal this year. Other bills being considered would require police officers to intervene if they see other officers using excessive force, to send community-based organizations to respond to 911 calls instead of police officers, and crack down on police officers making false reports. For The California Report, I'm MJ Johnson. Support for the California Report comes from Stanford Medicine, protecting your health and providing dependable care with safe in-person appointments and video visits, stanfordhealthcare.org slash adapting care. Personal Capital, 
helping people take control of their finances with financial tools and objective advice from a fiduciary advisor, personalcapital.com. And Eric and Wendy Schmidt through the Schmidt Family Foundation, working together to create a just world where all people have access to renewable energy, clean air and water, and healthy food, on the web at theschmidt.org. And that is the California Report for this Wednesday, May 26th. We are a production of KQED Public Radio. I'm Lily Jamali. Thanks for listening and have a great day. The state announced yesterday that Nevada County's COVID case rates have met the requirements for the blueprint for a safer economy's orange tier. If Nevada County meets the criteria for the orange tier next week, Nevada County would move into the orange tier on June 2nd. Restaurants will increase to 50% capacity indoors, gyms to 25% capacity, and movie theaters to 50% capacity. The state also announced their guidance for June 15th, when California will move, quote, beyond the blueprint. Almost all restrictions on physical distancing and capacity will be lifted on June 15th. However, there are requirements that will apply to events with over 5,000 attendees indoors and outdoor events of 10,000 attendees or more. Additionally, on June 15th, California's requirements on masks will align with current CDC guidance, which allows vaccinated individuals to be unmasked in most settings. Unvaccinated individuals will be required to continue wearing masks in most settings. Nevada County reports four new confirmed COVID-19 cases today for a total of 130 active cases. Two people are listed as hospitalized. Looking at regional weather, in Nevada City and Grass Valley, tonight, mostly clear, with a low around 54. Tomorrow looks to be sunny, with a high near 78. In Truckee and Lake Tahoe, tonight, mostly clear, with a low around 36 degrees. And tomorrow will be partly sunny, then gradually becoming sunny, with a high near 68. For Sacramento and Woodland, tonight, mostly clear with a low around 54. Thursday, sunny with a high near 87 degrees. Next, let's listen to the Chamber Report, our new segment highlighting what's happening in different places in our listening area. This week, we hear from Sierra County. KBMR News now presents a Chamber Report from the Sierra County Chamber of Commerce. Spring has sprung in Sierra County. The flowers are blooming and the river is high, which prompts this reminder to be ready for any type of weather in the spring in the Sierras. The campgrounds are opening up and the Gold Lake Road connecting Bassett's and Sierra City with the Gray Eagle area is fully open. There are now many accessible hiking, biking, and horse trails, while some of the higher elevations still have some snow on them. Most businesses, if they're not already open, plan to be fully open by Memorial Day. Some of their events are beginning to return. Please contact the Sierra County Chamber of Commerce for detailed information on the best locations to enjoy any of the mentioned activities or events or even where to stay or dine. They can be reached at 1-800-200-2000. 
4949 or go to info The website is www.sierracountychamber.com. With drought and hotter days on the horizon, many of us are looking for ways to minimize the risk of wildfire in our community. Recently, Keith Porter spoke with Ron Gray, a local property owner, about his experience with the Fire Safe Council of Nevada County. I'm Keith Porter for KVMR News, and I'm talking today with Ron Gray. Ron is a property owner uh, on the bluffs overlooking the South Fork of the Uber River and is very concerned about defensible space and fire safety for his 10-acre property and had an experience recently where he uh, had done some property clearing, I think, a couple of years ago and decided to continue the process and went to the Fire Safe Council of Nevada County for advice. Uh, and what did you find when you went there, Ron? Well, I was surprised to find out that in addition to the services they advertise, have been advertising on their website, defensible space clearing within 100 feet of your home, uh, and of course, giving great advice about uh, defensible space and home hardening, uh, that they actually are now doing uh, uh, treatment of, of uh, fuels reduction even beyond that 100-foot uh, area around the home. And uh, you had the experience then of them coming out with uh, a, a pretty good-sized crew with chainsaws and a, a track-laying chipper and, uh, and really doing a lot of cleanup on your property, right? They did a lot of cleanup. So our home is, is surrounded by forest. Uh, it's beautiful. We have Douglas fir, uh, black oak, live oak, uh, cedar, pine, madrone, big leaf, maple, and uh, even a few dogwoods. But the wildfire danger is real and it's scary. And our spot is especially vulnerable right above the river canyon. So a couple of years ago, we had defensible space clearing done on about uh, half of the property. And a private company came out and did that work. And they thinned out many of the conifers and also removed some ladder fuels and the, uh, they call it the understory vegetation that, you know, they trim up the lower branches and remove the stuff that can ignite the canopy. But this year, we wanted to get the remainder of the property cleaned up just for an added level of safety. And our property is 10 acres. So, uh, you know, we want to do the right thing. You know, we want to make our home safer and, and also be responsible neighbors. Uh, and I wasn't previously aware that the Fire Safe Council would do clearing beyond 100 feet from structures. And they were able to do it at a price, at a price that was competitive with commercial firms. So we were eager to give a nonprofit organization a shot at doing the work. So, yeah, they came out with a crew of five or six people each day. Uh, they brought uh, chainsaws, pole saws, and track chipper, which is a new piece of equipment that they have. And they were on our property for seven days, which was three more than they had originally planned for. So they removed uh, well over 150 conifers with diameters uh, between uh, four and 10 inches, with diameters of four to 10 inches. So some big trees. These are trees up to like 40 feet high that they took down. And, but they also took down many more of the smaller saplings, Keith, like, right. like you said, the undergrowth. And they did a really good job. Uh, and we were really grateful for the additional time that they put in. And they completed all but about one and a half acres of the property, which is uh, just under 10 acres. You, you sound like you're a satisfied customer. I mean, you, you, you're really happy with the work that they did and the, the end oh, product. Yeah. I, 
I think I think we got our money's worth for sure, and I, I'm really glad that they're doing the work that they're doing. I think they're really good people trying to do good work for the community. So yeah, it was great. And our our dog Ollie made fast friends with the crew too. And <laughs> that that says was, they're good people. Then huh, if the dog likes them, yeah, Ollie was eager to greet them when they arrived each morning and hung around them uh, during their lunch breaks. So as a property owner in a vulnerable space, uh, how how do you feel uh, having the work done? I mean, does it give you a sense of relief? Oh yeah, it really does. And we're really proud of our of our neighbors too, who all for the most part have been trying to do the same thing. So we're really, I think, making some some progress toward making the neighborhood safer. And as I drive down Bloomfield Road, North Bloomfield Road back toward town, we see that along that way, which is our egress in the case of a fire coming up through the canyon, that uh, many other homeowners and property owners along the way are doing the same thing. That's great. Well, I know that the um, the thrust in our county to create fire-wise communities is great, and part of that is coordinated also through the Fire Safe Council. Uh, I'm in an area where we've just formed our fire-wise community, uh, trying to be responsible and help each other get our properties and our ingress and egress um, where, where we're going to be able to survive the fire, which is, in most cases, we'd have to admit is inevitable, right, in, in our area? Yeah, I mean, uh, with climate change and generations of overgrown forest, it looks like it is uh, inevitable. And we just hope that it, it doesn't get our home or our neighborhood. But, you know, we don't know when it will happen and how bad it will be. And uh, what we can do is make ourselves as ready as possible and feel like we've uh, we've done the responsible thing. And uh, all of that is coordinated through the fire Safe Council of Nevada County, whether you're looking to form or have formed a firewise community, whether you'd like to get work done on your property for their kind of their standard defensible space clearing or even go beyond that, as Ron has done, clear more of his property. The place to contact is the Fire Safe Council of Nevada County, and you can reach them at rufiresafe.com or call them at 530-272-1122. And Ron Gray, whose property overlooking the South Fork of the Yuba River is now much safer due to the work that they've done for you. Thank you very much for sharing your story with us today on KVMR News. Uh, My pleasure, Keith. Good talking to you. We close tonight with a commentary by Rob Katzenstein. Rob is board president of the Clean Power Cooperative of Nevada County, a group dedicated to finding clean energy sources for our area and has worked in the solar industry for 18 years in both design and and installation. There are forces in Sacramento that are trying to kill the solar industry in California. They want solar customers to pay more for generating clean, renewable electricity from their homes or businesses. Why? Well, in my opinion, the bigger electric utilities are losing money because of their negligence and need to find ways to make it back for their shareholders. Eliminating clean energy jobs and making it more expensive certainly doesn't feel like a good way to do that. So how are they trying to do this? There are two tracks happening that seek to change the rules around what's called distributed energy generation, or in common words, rooftop solar. First, the California Public Utilities Commission is soliciting changes for the net energy metering system. That's abbreviated as NEM, or NEM, that is currently in place to charge solar customers. NEEM is the idea that when you generate more solar power than you need, you send it back to the utility that credits your account at a fair rate for that energy. When you need power from the utility, you import it from them and draw from your credit with them. 
At the end of the year, you pay the utility what the net is from the crediting and withdrawing on your electric meter. What the utilities want to change is the fair rate. They want to only pay wholesale rates for the excess power a system generates when the sun is shining. Depending on the time of day, that is about three to six cents per kilowatt hour. Then they want to sell solar customers power back at rates upward of 40 cents per kilowatt hour. In addition to that, they want solar customers to pay double the amount they now charge for their meter fee. Rather than saving money by putting in solar, you will actually be paying more for the privilege of giving the utility clean energy back. The second way that solar metering might be changed is by a bill circulating in the legislature, Assembly Bill 1139, sponsored by Assemblywoman Lorena Gonzalez. This would kill all the current NEEM regulations and put all solar customers, new and old, on rates that would not let the system pay for itself over time. In addition to much higher monthly fees, it would only pay $0.03 cents per kilowatt hour in export credit. With these rates, a system would never generate enough savings to justify the expense. These changes are moving the goalpost, as they say, in a huge way. In the past, when customers have signed agreements to hook up their solar energy systems, they were guaranteed a 20-year period in their NEEM contract. Now, all of a sudden, they are saying these agreements are no longer valid. What? Any reasonable person would question how they could get away with such things. Yet this seems like what is happening. Why? The three big investor-owned utilities, Pacific Gas and Electric, Southern California Edison, and San Diego Gas and Electric, are unhappy with the current system. They feel that solar and wind customers are getting a subsidy with the rates they get and are not paying the true cost of delivering power to their homes. Therefore, their rationale is that solar customers are burning those without solar who are having to pay higher costs to maintain the lines, but in my mind, to also pay for their utilities' mistakes. However, the solar customers who have paid thousands of dollars for energy systems that had an estimated payback time will no longer realize these savings if the measures go through. And future solar customers, which are actually going to be people that buy new homes in the state of California, because these homes are now mandated to have solar, will never realize any savings. Instead, they will pay tens of thousands of dollars more for their property, only to practically give the power away to the utilities. If you are concerned about this, please sign a petition against these changes. Go to SaveCaliforniaSolar.org to easily submit that online. Again, that's SaveCaliforniaSolar, all one word, dot O-R-G. There are a lot of jobs and opportunities at stake here. If we don't speak up, California will no longer be the leader in renewable energy installations. Worse, other states may follow California's example, as they have done in the past. The utilities will be profiting from those who want to generate clean energy and combat climate change, as solar customers have been doing one household or business at a time for the last 24 years. Thank you. The views expressed on this show are those of the speakers only and are not necessarily those of KVMR, our board, staff, volunteers, or contributors. That's our newscast tonight. For their support, KVMR would like to thank Sweetland Garden Mercantile. 
offering seasonal veggie starts, soil amendments, pruning supplies, and tools. Delivery available, open daily, 9 to 6 in downtown North San Juan. 292-9000, sweetlandgm.com. Dig it. Stay tuned. The Sages Among Us is next. Tonight, host Brian Buckley talks with Heather Graham, principal of Bell Hill Academy. And at 7 p.m., it's Democracy Now! with Amy Goodman. I'm Claudio Mendonça. Thanks for listening. Have a great evening, and we'll see you tomorrow. Tomorrow.